Good morning, Sleepy Town. I'm Beau Bartlett, and you're listening to The Art House. Art House Radio on 88.5 WCUG, coming to you from beautiful downtown Columbus, Georgia. Today's word of the day is mise-en-scene. The purpose of art is to wake us up. The purpose of Art House Radio is to wake us up gently. So get up, y'all. It's a great country. Get out there and enjoy it. We have a special guest today, Miles Hoffman. Miles is a graduate of Yale and uh, is a... Are you a professor, Miles, at Schwab? Visiting professor, yes. I come down from... I live in South Carolina, and I come down about once a month, spend some time here, and uh, so they call me... Uh, actually, they call me a distinguished visiting professor, which is very nice. So That's appropriate. I'm distinguished, yes. Well, can you tell us two things? First, how did you get here? I drove... <laughs> I drove straight down 95 and through Atlanta, which is really a pain in the neck, I have to tell you. Um, how did I get to Columbus State? Well, you know, I first played at Columbus State with my chambers group, the American Chamber Players, many years ago. Many meaning, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, perhaps, in, in the old building before, before the beautiful new Schwab School of Music was built. Um, Rex Whitten, or <laughs> not Rex Whitten, but Rex Whitten, was the, uh, the director of the music school then. And then um, some years back, I don't know if it was five or six years ago, we came back again with the American Chamber Players, but in the play in Legacy Hall. It was one of the first, first concerts in Legacy Hall. Beautiful concert hall, as you know, in, in, in the Schwab School of Music. And then a couple of years uh, ago now, it's probably two or three years ago, we came down again with the American Chamber Players. Uh, we were thrilled to be sponsored by... Two families, the Swifts and the Stars, which is great. The Swifts and the Stars. Doesn't that sound terrific? And they brought us down to play a concert at Legacy, and that began this new relationship with the Schwab School of Music. We came down with the American Chamber Players several times. We gave master classes. I gave talks. And then after that, um, I started coming down. Uh, I was asked to come down myself and do some teaching and coaching and talking and that turned into this visiting professorship, which has been just a delight for me. It's just been wonderful. So many wonderful people in Columbus, uh, so many great students. The level at the Schwab School of Music is extraordinary. The talent there is remarkable. So uh, it's been great. I've been just thrilled. Your instrument is the viola. Viola. How, how did you come upon the viola? Well, I started on the violin. Lots of violists uh, start on the violin, although these days, actually, there are many, many young violists who started on the viola. It's, that's changed some. But I was a little boy. I had a, a cousin who played the violin. I thought he was a cool guy at the time. I stress at the time. <laughs> Turns out he was kind of a jerk, actually, to be perfectly honest. But um, that was the reason I, I asked for violin lessons, because my cousin played. I thought he was cool, and I wanted to play. And I, I always enjoyed it. My parents were not musicians, but um, they found a wonderful teacher for me. I was very lucky. I started playing, and I just always loved to play. Um, it was, for me, music was an extracurricular activity, just like playing ball. In the summers, I, I was lucky enough to go to, to summer camp, but I went to summer camp to play ball, not to, not to play music. Um, 
I played violin all through college, and then when I graduated college, I, I switched to the viol. I tried the instrument. I, I seemed to, I don't know, it seemed to suit me. I seemed to practice more intelligently on the viol. The viol is bigger than the violin, and somehow physically I felt a little more comfortable with it. That's the short version, by the way. Um, I tried it, and I liked it. And uh, so I stuck with it. And I didn't actually know Bo when I was in college. I didn't go to college thinking I was going to be a musician. Matter of fact, I was pre-med in college. Um, but uh, around about my senior year, and I, I, I in fact applied to medical school, but I, I realized that I seemed to enjoy playing music more than anything else. And so I decided I would give it a try. I didn't decide actually that I would go into music. It wasn't a decision, I'm going to do this. It was a decision, I'm going to try this, see how it goes. But I liked the way it went, I just kept at it. And then a couple of years later, I, I went to Juilliard. I got a master's at Juilliard in New York and uh, never looked back. I didn't, I never regretted not going to medical school, I have to say. I think my parents regretted it a bit. My father was a doctor. So <laughs> doctor's kids, you know, there's always a bit of a pressure to, to follow in the footsteps. But uh, I think they were reconciled to it eventually. So your degree from Yale? My degree from Yale actually was, well, it's a BA. It was a Bachelor of Arts. Mm -hmm. Um, I took violin lessons when I was at Yale, but there's, and I was actually a music major, but the music major at Yale was not a performance major. And again, to be perfectly honest, the reason I decided to do the music major is because there was no senior paper. I didn't have to write a senior paper. <laughs> so I, I took a lazy route. But meanwhile, I was also taking the pre-med courses, biology and chemistry and organic chemistry and physics and all of that. Um, and in fact, uh, I think the courses that I most enjoyed, I had, I had a couple of really terrific music courses at Yale, but the courses I most enjoyed were the courses outside my major and outside pre-med, the literature courses, the psychology courses, and so forth. Um, those are the ones that, in some ways, uh, were, again, were the, the ones that, that, that I felt closest to. That I, don't, I don't know if I want to say they affected me most, most profoundly, but they've stayed with me. They were, they were important. Is there a uh, a book or a specific piece of literature that affected you more than others? When I was in college? Yes. No. When you, when, <laughs> when, when you were making the decisions to... No, uh, no, no, no. It was playing music that, that it was just the, the delight of, of playing music, and especially playing chamber music, that, that convinced me that I wanted to give this a try. And in fact, especially because my parents weren't musicians, I didn't know as much music, certainly as much classical music, as kids whose parents were musicians and who had grown up hearing all these great works. I, I came late. I came late to them. I especially came late to music theory. When I got to college, I didn't know anything about music theory. I didn't know the names of the chords. I didn't know what, for example, what a tonic chord was, what a dominant was. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Um, which I feel like, <laughs> for me now, it's an advantage. For all these years, I've been talking on the radio and and demystifying the terms of classical music. I've always felt I come by that honestly because I come by it from ignorance. From, from I was essentially a, a layman who knew how to play the violin. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I identify with people who don't have, have uh, in-depth technical knowledge. Um, did, was there a specific piece of music or artist that, that influenced you uh, musically more than yeah, others at that time? Yeah, that I can say. Um, and that would be Yasha Heifetz, the great violinist. Yasha Heifetz many ways, the greatest violinist of the 20th century. I used to go to sleep when I was a little kid. My father bought me a recording of Heifetz playing the Mendelssohn Concerto. 
violin concerto by Felix Mendelssohn. And when I was a little boy, I used to go to sleep to that uh, many, many nights. And so that was the that was the sound of violin playing that I had in in my ear in my head growing up, and that was the greatest that was the greatest influence on me. Although the very first the very first record my father bought for me was a recording of the double violin concerto, concerto for two violins by by Bach, by Johann Sebastian Bach, and that's a piece that every every violinist plays early on lessons and that was a big influence too just because it's such a wonderful piece and it was an introduction to just the beauties and wonders of, of what you can do playing the violin and what you can hear when you hear people play the violin so yeah i would say the bach double and the mendelssohn violin concerto were the two most important pieces and yasha heifetz certainly for me as for hundreds hundreds if not thousands of other young violinists yasha heifetz was mm-hmm. was the great influence which is not to say that there aren't other wonderful, wonderful violinists or that Heifetz's interpretation of every piece is the greatest interpretation, but it was, it was nobody like Heifetz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and mentors, specific mentors? Well, that's an interesting term, mentor. I would say, first, my first violin teacher was, I guess I'd have to call him mentor, and I studied with him from the time I was six until, until I went away to college with a year off, I suppose, at the end. His name was Saul Greitzer, and he was actually a violist, so I studied violin with a violist. I suppose it makes sense that I eventually wound up playing viola. And Saul was a wonderful guy and a, a terrific musician, and he, he really helped me develop my love for, for playing the instrument. He loved the instrument, and he, his teaching always involved making sounds that, that you wanted to hear, to, loving the sound of the instrument, trying to make beautiful sounds. So I guess Saul was was certainly my first mentor, but I didn't I didn't have a lot of teachers. I had a teacher at Yale, Shoko Aki. I studied for a couple of years at Yale violin, and Shoko was a, a wonderful teacher. Uh, I learned things from her. I don't know if I'd call her a mentor. And then at Juilliard, I had a, a teacher for two years who, I guess he was a pretty good teacher. I guess I learned some things from him, but he was... Not a very nice man. <laughs> he was not very supportive. And um, my mentor, if you want to call it that, when I was at Juilliard in graduate school, was actually a good friend, a violinist, a French violinist named Alexis Galperin. If it hadn't been for Alexis, I'm not sure I would have kept going in music because he was really my moral support. And he was a wonderful musician. And he did come from a family of musicians. And a brilliant guy with a degree in philosophy as well as... A, international competition winner and and alexis was he became a close friend he became i mean again mentor is a funny word but he he was he was my moral support and musical support when i was in graduate school he's he's the guy who actually made it possible for me to continue in music and then after that uh, i suppose uh, after i went after i left graduate school i i auditioned for the national symphony in washington and I played for seven years in the National Symphony. And my, my boss, the music director of the National Symphony, was Mstislav Rostropovich, the great Russian cellist. And known to everybody as Slava. Everybody called Rostropovich Slava. And Slava was a kind of mentor. Um, just by example, to be around a musician of that caliber, an enormous personality like that, an extraordinary musician, I wouldn't say certainly couldn't call him my personal mentor, but he was an example, 
and an influence is very important to me. He was, by the way, the real mentor of uh, the cello professor at the Schwab School of Music, Wendy Warner. Wendy studied with Rostropovich uh, for a long time and was really a Rostropovich protege, and he really was a mentor for, for Wendy. But, but you know, Bo, if you, if, if you had had, for example, the, the opportunity to spend seven years hanging around Picasso, you know, or hanging around Monet, you, some things rub off, you know, you can't, you can't help learning things being around a, a great artist. And so uh, I was very, very fortunate to spend that time just in the presence of Rostropovich. And he gave masterclasses too, to members of the National Symphony, private masterclasses, not for the public, just for us. Um, on his own time, he didn't have to do it. And those were pretty extraordinary. And I, pl I played for Rostropovich a number of times and I had lessons with Rostropovich, I guess you could say, and that, that, was, that was a great experience. Enough with words. Let's listen to some of your music. Here's Miles Hoffman on viola. Thank you. 
teachers, uh, instructors, was Nelson Shanks, the great American portrait painter. He painted uh, Lady Di and uh, Clinton and Reagan and the Pope. Uh, but he, he used to say to us, he would say, and he only had two students, one on either side of him as he painted, and he would say to us, you don't learn to draw by osmosis. You learn to draw by drawing 12 hours a day <laughs> and not giving up. Yeah. Well, yeah, and at a certain point you have to, the not giving up part is very important, as you say. It takes a certain amount of courage, and all these all these uh, arts disciplines are very competitive. You see what other people are doing, you think, well, is that one better than I am? Am I as good as that one? And in music, you actually have competitions. You go to competitions, and some competitions you do well, and then other competitions you bomb out in the first round, and somehow you have to you, you have to try actually not to compare yourself. On the one hand, you're comparing yourself. You have standards, and, and you have standards that you want to try to attain and to maintain. On the other hand, you have to follow your own path. You have to have confidence in what you're doing. To thine own self be true, as uh, other ones wrote. Um, so it's, it's complicated. You have to keep up your courage. You have to not, not be caught up in comparisons, not be caught up in competition, at the same time that you have to be aware of the standards that you have to meet. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that I went to Juilliard, um, I didn't go to Juilliard for a specific teacher. I went to Juilliard because Juilliard was at the center of the center, and I needed to find out what the level was. I needed to find out where I had to be in order to do what I wanted to do in the field of music. Uh, yeah. I was actually, I had spent a year out in Ann Arbor, and I was, I was playing in the Toledo Symphony, Toledo, Ohio. Um, well, I could have stayed in Toledo, Ohio, and I was pretty top dog violist in Toledo, Ohio. But I, I knew that that wasn't telling me enough. And I knew that 
I still had to make a lot of progress and, and improve. And the only way I was going to do that is I, if I was around people who were much better than I was. You know, you have to learn from the people who are better than you. Yes, I, I had a, another uh, instructor, Morris Blackburn, a great painter from Pennsylvania, and he always said to us, he would say, if you're competing in art, you don't understand what art is all about. Right. Well, Bela Bartok said, <laughs> the great composer Bela Bartok said, competitions are for horses, not artists. <laughs> <laughs> but one does need to drive themselves. You have to almost compete with yourself or with the greats in history, I think. Well, sure, sure. I mean, you know what's... You, you listen or watch or, or look at the greats in order to know what's possible and to strive for, for what's possible in your, own, in your own voice, whatever that voice is, whatever your medium is, whatever your artistic medium is, to find, find your own path. It's funny, all these cliches that we talk about, to thine own self be true, find your own path, et cetera, et cetera. The reason they're cliches is because they're true. <laughs> they're true, exactly. <laughs> I love cliches for that very reason. They're true. <laughs> Um, so what, is, what did a friend of mine once say? I avoid cliches like the plague. <laughs> um, if, you, if, if you had one uh, you know, uh, bit of advice for a young art uh, student or a musician or a writer, anyone who's coming along in the arts in a, in a field that's not you know, in, a, in a more um, traditional um, business world, if you had anyone that's coming along with a creative passion, uh, what, what might your, your words of advice be in terms of... Uh, helping them continue on? Well, I, uh, a couple. One of them is the, the obvious cliche, practice. You know, the famous, the famous joke about the guys walking along in New York City and somebody says, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? And the fellow says, yep, practice, man, practice. <laughs> um, so you have to practice. You have to work hard. There's no substitute for putting in the time. What I would also say, based on my experience and based on the nature of again, of these artistic fields is, is make sure you have a friend, at least one friend. Um, friendship as we go along in these fields is crucial because we all suffer from self-doubt. And at one time or another, our self-doubt is going to be stronger. Um, self-doubt goes in, it, it's, it's not a straight line. It doesn't, you don't just get over it one day. And some days it's stronger than others. And some days you feel better about yourself than others. But but having, having moral support, having friends, having... Um, and you're lucky if you have a teacher who's supportive. That's great. But make sure that you find a way to surround yourself. might be a little too strong, but at least be in the, in the company of, of at least one person who can help you, who can listen to you, who can be supportive, who can buck you up when you're, when you're suffering from, from great self-doubt. And I don't, I don't know that there's anybody... Maybe in, maybe in any field, Bo. I mean, we talk about the arts, but we all suffer from self-doubt, so we all need people who can help us. Um, so, so what's the advice? The advice is have a friend, have a couple of friends, have courage, and, but courage is something that you can't will. You can't decide, today I'm going to have courage, but you can develop courage by, by working by working hard and keeping at it and making sure there are people around you who can help you, who can support you, who can help you feel good about what you're doing. That's, that's wonderful. That's great advice. Miles, thank you. Um, we've had Miles Hoffman as our guest today. Miles, thanks very much for coming. And I, I hope that you will, you have a very good head and I hope that you will um, consider posing for me sometime. <laughs> 
Bert twist Bert. my arm, Bo. Twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be delighted. Thanks, Bo. It's great talking with you. Thank you, Miles. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.